Let's open our Bibles this morning at John chapter number 14, as we've been once again going through our study of the most important 52 chapters in the Bible. So if you're going to read through your Bible, uh, which of those chapters are not to be missed? And once again, I always like to preface this or, or um, uh, clarify every chapter is important. There's not any that are not important, even the ones that are lineages. You know, sometimes you'll be in the Old Testament, you'll be reading through some chapter in Genesis or in Numbers, and it'll just be name after name, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so. And sometimes we'll think, well, like, man, why is this in here? It's important. Every single part of it's important. Every word, every punctuation, every single verse, every single chapter, it's all important. But we've been looking at, voted upon by this class um, last year, we did a survey and said, what's your favorite or what's the most important chapter of the Bible? And this week we come to John chapter 14. I don't know this for sure, I'm just telling you my, you know, anecdotal experience as a Christian, but probably this chapter has been read by more Christians, at least I'm, I'm just kind of telling you my, my perspective or what I've seen in my life. Almost every time I've ever done a, a hospital visit, almost every time I've ever gone to a nursing home, every time I've ever go to visit a shut-in in a house, uh, almost every time, uh, wh- whoever I'm going there with, the minister, the pastor, whoever, reads out of John 14. It's a, it's a comforting chapter. And the theme here uh, in John chapter 14 is uh, trouble for a, or I'm sorry, comfort for a troubled heart, the cure for a troubled heart. Um, In this chapter, you see Jesus talking to his disciples. This is at the Last Supper. Now, a couple of weeks ago when we were in the book of Matthew, we looked at this chapter and this passage in greater detail or a parallel passage. And this morning we'll look at John 14. Uh, Jesus has gathered the disciples together. It's the, Lord, it's the Last Supper, and, um, and he's giving them some instruction. In chapter 13, we, we, we understand why the disciples have a troubled heart. In chapter number 13, Jesus is speaking to them, and um, he says in verse number 21, he says, speaking to his disciples, and this is, if you re- go back and read chapter 13, this is Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, um, and then there's, you know, uh, dispute about who's the greatest in the kingdom. But in verse, verse number 21, Jesus says, When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. So he's got his, you know, his disciples together and he's talking. He's like, hey, guess what? By the way, one of you guys is going to betray me. So now they're all like looking around like, was he talking about me? The Bible says like no one, no one accused Judas. No one said, oh, it must be Judas. He's the bad guy. No, they said, is it me? They asked the question. So now they're troubled. Am I going to be the one that betrays Jesus? But that's not all. Jesus says, um, verse number uh, 31 through 33, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say unto you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men that know you, my disciples, if you have loved one for another. So now Jesus says, not only are one of you going to betray me, one of you is going to turn me over to our enemies, but guess what? I'm leaving. So once again, think about you're the disciples. You've been faithfully following Jesus for years, and now you come together, and Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? One of you is going to betray me. I'm going to be leaving you. You're going to want to come to me. You won't be able to come to me. I'm going to be leaving you. And then also Jesus says here 
Um, verse number 37, uh, Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And Jesus answered him, Will thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto ye, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. So in the previous chapter, what Jesus has said is, one of you is going to betray me, one of you is going to deny me, and I'm leaving. That was the message that Jesus had for them in chapter 13. And what were the very first words of chapter 14? Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. So I, 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 I'm, I'm imagining they're there at the, the Last Supper. They're speaking with Jesus. Jesus has just a whole bunch of great news to share with them. You know, you're going to betray me. You're going to deny me. I'm going to be leaving you. And then Jesus looks around. He starts looking at their faces. And he's like, oh, I really discouraged these guys, didn't I? So he says, hey, guys, don't, don't get upset. That's what Jesus was saying. He's saying, let not your heart be troubled. I know I laid a lot on you. I know you feel like, well, there's no hope. It's all going bad. It's all going downhill. Don't get upset. That's what Jesus was saying. He said, let not your heart be troubled. And in chapter 14, we see six different reasons that Jesus gives his disciples. While even though they had this horrible, you know, news, this next few days are going to be pretty terrible. You're going to, they're going to deny Jesus. They're going to betray Jesus. He's going to leave them. Jesus says, I'm going to give you some reasons why you don't have to let your heart be troubled. That even in chaotic, stressful, you know, uh, painful, depressing experiences in your life, you don't have to be troubled. You don't have to let your heart be troubled. So Jesus begins to speak to them about their troubled hearts. And he says, first of all, he says, you don't have to have a troubled heart because number one, we're going to heaven. We're going to heaven. If you're saved here this morning, as sure, sure as we're here right now and you came to church this morning and you're sitting in a pew and, you're, and you're, you're breathing and you're thinking and you're seeing and you're hearing all these experiences you have, as sure as this is reality, heaven is a reality. Heaven is real. One day, if you're a child of God, if you're saved here this morning, you will take a breath of heavenly air. You'll breathe it in. You'll see it with your eyes. All these things that John in the book of Revelation was trying to describe to us and compare it to things. And he's, he's like, it's like this and it's like that. But even John, it, in all of his uh, ability and all of his inspiration of the Holy Spirit, could not describe what heaven looks like. But you're going to see it one day. You're going to hear the sounds of heaven. It's real. It's a real place. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, listen, I know I laid a lot on you. I know it seems like it's not, it's not going to be great. But don't let your heart be troubled because you're going to heaven one day. Heaven is a real place. It says here, let not your heart be troubled. And, and look how Jesus appeals to them. He says, ye believed in God, believe also in me. J Jesus is comparing himself. He's saying, listen, you had faith in heaven, your heavenly father, right? And then all the disciples are like, yeah, Jesus, we believe. He's like, well, if you believe in God, then believe also in me. Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to see God, you're looking at him. Jesus was stating his divinity here. He was saying, if you can put your trust and your confidence in your Heavenly Father, you can put that same trust and confidence in me. I will not let you down. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
So we see here Jesus begins to tell them, don't let your heart be troubled because you have heaven as your destination one day. You really get to go. You really are going to get to go to heaven. We're going to be able to enjoy all these things that, that, that we can't even understand or we can't even comprehend or these blessings that God has for us in heaven one day. But heaven is a real place and you don't have to have a troubled heart because you're going to heaven. Heaven's a real place, but also heaven is a loving place. In verses 3 and 4, Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Heaven is a loving place. If you read the book of Revelation, there's many times where John sees these visions of heaven, and he begins to describe it, and he's, he says, it's, it's kind of like this, and it's kind of like that, and it kind of looks like this, and, and, and it reminds me of some things that I can compare into this world, but it's not quite the same. And after a while, John kind of gets you know, uh, frustrated trying to tell him what it's like. So he says, let me just tell you what it's not like. Let me tell you a few things that won't be in heaven. There's no death in heaven. Yeah. Uh, you know, we can sit here and talk all day about what we think it's going to be like, but let me tell you what it's not going to be like. There's no death there. There's, there's no funeral homes. There's no ambulances. There's no, there's, no, uh, there's no cemeteries. There's no headstones. You don't ever have to say goodbye, I'll see you later, and have to be separated from your loved ones. There's no more death there. It's a loving place. There's no more sorrow there. There's no more grieving. There's no more crying. There's no more anger. There's no more bitterness. There's no more frustration. There's no more sorrow in this place. It's a loving place. There's no more crying there. There's no more pain in this place. And we could go on and on about all the things. There's no more night there. There's no more parting. There's no more separating. All these things that the Bible tells us because heaven is a loving place. Um, I've, you know, when I was going to college and we were talking about, you know, whenever you begin to describe heaven to people, just, just go wild. Just let your imagination run wild. Just the most amazing thing you can imagine. Tell people that's what it's like. If you love chocolate cake, tell them heaven's nothing but a giant piece of chocolate cake. You know, like whatever you can imagine, whatever you think it is. And, and you know, we were in college, class, we were kind of like, well, aren't we lying? I mean, do we don't know it's going to be like that. How can we tell people? And, the, and our professor said, well, do you think anybody's going to get to heaven and be disappointed? <laughs> you think anybody's going to get to heaven and think, oh, I thought it was going to be nicer than this? No, no. Listen, let your imagination run wild. You're going to spend the rest of eternity in a place that's nothing but joy and happiness and pleasure for all eternity. And it'll never get old. It'll never get boring. It'll never be like recycled or old news. It'll always be fresh and new and exciting. And you get to live there forever. Heaven is a loving place. It's a real place. It's a loving place. But Jesus goes on to say that heaven is an exclusive place. In verses 5 and 6, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now this happened just a few weeks ago. It's not, I mean, this is, this is fresh off the presses. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if you follow social media much at all, but there was a, a Christian lady, and she put something on social media. I'm not sure if it was Facebook or you know, Instagram or Twitter, but she put something on there basically saying, quoting this verse, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come to the Father but by him. And a well-known conservative Jewish man uh, criticized her post and said, you know, why are Christians, you know, uh, why do Christians kind of hate other religions and you won't, you won't include us in your beliefs? And, and he said, this is not the Christian way. A Christian's supposed to open their arms and, and be accepting and loving of all people. 
And doesn't that sound so nice? I mean, we, sh- we should all be loving and accepting of all people. And then that what Christians should be doing. And didn't you just say, this sound, all men will know if you're my disciples, you have one, well, love one towards another. So yeah, that sounds perfect. Does That sounds great. But it's not biblical. There is an exclusivity in heaven. Not everyone's going there. Or as pastor says, not everyone's going to stay. The only people that will go to heaven are people that have called upon Jesus Christ to be their savior. That's it. Amen. Oh, what if, I know a, I know a, like a dear, a dear old man or a dear old lady that they just got so much love in their heart, but they've never gone to church. They don't really practice religion, but they're good people. Good people go to hell. Only perfect, only righteous people go to heaven. And I'm not perfect and I'm not righteous and neither are you. So how can we make it there? Because we go through Jesus. Because he's the door. Because he's the way. Because if you want to go into heaven, there's only one place of access. And it's exclusive and it's only Jesus. And your church can't save you. And your religious works can't save you. And, 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 uh, and Muhammad can't save you. And Buddha can't save you, and Confucius can't save you, and, 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 uh, and uh, the Mormons can't save you, and the Jehovah's Witnesses can't save you. Yeah, the Baptists can't save you. The only way that you can be saved is going through Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. Well, Brother John, what about like all these people that live around the globe and they never heard the name of Jesus? Well, first of all, as a Christian, that's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to tell them so they can know the gospel, they can know the truth. But what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 is even those people that have never heard the name of Jesus, the Bible says that all men are without excuse. That we've all seen enough of this world to know this world's not right, this world's broken, there's something bad wrong with this world. But even worse than that, there's something wrong and broken with me, and I know that. By reading the Bible and by seeing how this world operates and knowing that I I don't measure up, I'm not sinless, I'm a sinful person. And the only way I can have my sins forgiven is through Jesus Christ. Go to all the priests that you want to. Go to all the men that you want to. How can a man save you? Man can't save himself. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is heaven is an exclusive place. You can't get in unless you come through Jesus. There's no other way. You can't be good enough. You can't turn over enough new leaves. You can't give your life to Jesus. You can give Jesus everything that you want. None of those things can save you. The only thing that can save you is simple faith and trusting in Jesus Christ that I can't save myself, that I'm a sinner. And and truthfully, most of us, what we need to repent of is not our wicked, sinful deeds, although we need to repent of those. What we need to repent of is our religious good deeds because we think our religious good deeds will save us. And, And John the Baptist told those religious people, repent. Your good religious works can't save you. They're going to send you to hell. The only thing that can save you is Jesus Christ. It's exclusive. And as Christians, as children of God, as believers of the Bible, we should not be afraid of saying that. That that Jesus is the only way. That anything else is heresy. That anything else is false doctrine. That everything else leads to cults. That's, that's how cults get started. They come up with some new way to get to heaven. Oh, you got to do, no, 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 the, no, no, what the Bible really meant was you got to do this. And they'll make a bunch of man-made rules and regulations to get people to believe. And then they've damned people to hell. Because salvation only comes through Jesus. Jesus is the only way. So he said, don't let your heart be troubled, guys. You got heaven as your home. 
It may look rough for a while. It may, not, it may not look like it's going too good. But trust me, we win in the end. Heaven as your home. Not just can you not let your heart be troubled because you have heaven as your home, but because you can know the Father right now. You don't have to wait to go to heaven to know the Father. In verses 7 through 11, if ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He dwelleth, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am the Father, that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very, for the very work's sake. So Jesus here is, begins to talk to them, and he says, you don't have to let your heart be troubled because you, you can have confidence that you know the Heavenly Father. And then Philip's like, well, well if you'll show us the, the Heavenly Father, then we'll believe you. And then Jesus says, no, no, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And here, once again, I've heard people, skeptics, atheists, you know, people criti- critical of Christianity or the Bible will say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. These are people that don't know their Bible. They should read the Bible. Jesus here is saying, if you've seen the me, you've seen the Father. And if you want to know what the Father's like, look at me. If you want, do you want to know what God is like? Read about Jesus in the Bible. What, what does God care about? What does God hate? What does God love? What does God spend his time and energy and resources on? Well, just see what Jesus did, and that's what God does. If you want to know what God is like, study Jesus' life. And, and the truth is, there's, you know, he, Jesus uses this word here in this scripture. He says, know, the, if you know me, you know the Father. And right. the, there's a, look, you, uh, knowing is a spectrum. You can know a lot of things like, uh, like I can know, uh, okay, I'll, you know, I'll use a food comparison. That's what seems to work best for me. I know that, I know that pie... I know that pie is good. Pie is good. I know this fact. This is a fact. I can know. I can know the pie is good. But that's, that's a very superficial knowledge. I just know that pie is good. But I could maybe, if I think, you know, well, pie is good, I want to learn more about pie, maybe I could even go and I could look up recipes on how to make a pie. Right? Okay, now, so now my knowledge has gone from I just know about pie to now I know how I know what, what ingredients and supplies I need to make a pie, and I can even have instructions. But even that's not good enough because, you know, you can, you can write a book about telling somebody how to swim, but you don't know what water feels like until you jump in water, right? Yeah. You can read a book all day about how to learn how to swim, but until you jump in the water, it's different, right? Well, you know, you can think you know how to make a pie, but until you're in the kitchen and you're trying to make it yourself, it's completely different. But what if, what if you found the, the recipe for the, the most delicious pie in all the world? And not just the recipe, you actually met the chef. And now the chef said, hey, I'm going to take you in the kitchen. I'm going to show you step by step how I make my pie. Well, how's my knowledge increased? I've gone from just knowing about pie to knowing the instructions about how to make pie to now being shown personally by the chef that made the most delicious pie in all the world how to make it. My knowledge is increasing. But even beyond that, what if, what if then I form a friendship with that chef? A relationship with that chef and now he doesn't tell me just how to make about how to make delicious pie but how to just cook in general uh this is the difference between a cook and a chef is this a cook follows their instructions right 
It says, get this, get one, one cup of this, one teaspoon of this, mix it for this long, bake it for 350 or whatever. And that's what a cook can do. But a chef's not a cook. A chef can go into the pantry and say, well, I got these eight random ingredients. What can I make out of that? And they can come up with their own recipe and they can make their own meal because a chef knows what they're doing in the kitchen. A cook just follows instructions. You, you, you following me? What I'm saying is a Christian, we should be more than cooks. We should know the chef well enough that we don't just follow the instructions. We can actually make a meal. We can, we can look at our life and the cupboard of our life and say, well, God, you've given me these five things that don't seem like they're very useful, but God, maybe if you can help me and show me how to be not just a cook, but be a chef, I can learn more about this Christianity. I can do something with my life. And what I'm saying is you, we should not have our heart troubled because you can know the Heavenly Father right now and not just know as in, I know there's a God, because a lot of people know that. Even the devils know and tremble who Jesus is. But there's a different type of knowledge. There's an intimate knowledge of not just I know about you, but I know you. There's a relationship there. And, and Jesus is saying to these men, he's saying, don't let your heart be troubled because you can know the Heavenly Father right now. I'm reminded of that story in the Old Testament. This is kind of the example of, of whenever um, God came to visit Abraham in the Old Testament. And whenever God came to visit Abraham... The Bible says that he went in into Abraham's tent and they had fellowship and they had a meal. But then also there was a visit just a few days later to Lot's house. But God couldn't go to Lot's house. God just sent some messengers to Lot's house because they didn't have a strong they didn't have that strong fellowship between each other. And so God could go into Abraham's house, but he couldn't go into Lot's house. Were they both were they both quote unquote saved? If you, if you believe the Bible, they were. The Bible says that Abraham was a, a friend of God. The Bible says that Lot vexed his righteous soul daily by living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, how do you have a righteous soul? You've got to be saved. These were saved men. One of them, God's like, I can go into your house and we can fellowship and we can spend time together because we have a great relationship, we have great fellowship. But there was another saved man that God said, I can't go into your house. We don't know each other that well. What I'm saying is you don't have to have your heart trouble because you can know God today. That's not something that you have to wait for heaven to find out about. You can know your heavenly father today. So not just can we not have our heart troubled because we got heaven as our home one day. We don't have to be troubled because we have our heavenly father right now available to us that we can know. But also Jesus begins to talk to him about the privilege we have, this pri privilege of prayer. We have the privilege of prayer in verses 12 through 15. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if ye ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. So then Jesus tells them, don't let your heart be troubled, guys, because you can pray to me, you can ask me, and I will help you. And you've seen the things that I've done, and you've been blown away. Guess what? You're going to do greater works than me. And those disciples, if you, if you just look at the number, now no one was greater than Jesus, no one is more holy or more pure or better, but whenever you just count the number of people that were healed or saved or fed, the disciples did greater works than Jesus. And Jesus said, don't, don't let your heart be troubled, because whenever I'm gone, you can just call out to me, you can ask me, and I will help you. And Jesus says, if you're going to pray, we must pray in faith, believing. In verse number 12, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, See, that's the critical thing. We have to pray with faith. 
and not faith in like, I'm going to pray and I'll be able to figure this out and I'll arrange it and I'll work it out and I'll take care of it. No, no, I have to praise and faith is in God. Only you can take care of this. Only you can fix this. Only you can resolve this. I can't do anything about this. I can't change one thing about this. God, I need your help. And so praying in faith, but not just praying, believing on Jesus, but praying in Jesus' name. In verses 13 and 14, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now we, you know, sometimes as Christians, we think this is, these are the magic words we're supposed to say, in Jesus' name. Right? That's what we think, the, the, the magic words. As a good Christian, that's what you're supposed to say. Hey, if you don't say the magic words, that prayer won't make it to heaven. Right? Is that what Jesus is talking about? Well, yeah, we certainly should pray in Jesus' name. But whenever we're praying in Jesus' name, what, do, what are we saying? We're saying, well, okay, look, imagine this. Imagine, um, uh, uh, Ms. Ledbetter, you, you guys have a, you, you guys sell cars, correct? And what if I knew somebody and I said, oh, go visit Ms. Ledbetter. She'll give you a great deal on a car. You can tell her I sent you. You can use my name. Right? Uh, now, what, what would happen is this person, let's uh, say it's Brother George. We'll use Brother George. I say, Brother George, listen, I got a great lady. She's going to give you a great deal, Miss Ledbetter, down towards Fulton. Go see that lady. She will take care of you. Tell her I sent you. Tell her John McElroy sent you. All right? And then Brother George goes over to Miss Ledbetter. He's like, well, Brother, uh, Brother John McElroy said I could come over. He said, you're going to give me a car for free. <laughs> That's something he would do. We, you know, we, yeah, but, but if, if, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but if you're going in my name... If you're going in my, if you're going to use my name, you wouldn't do something that would, that would be against what my desires or wishes were. That's not my desire. That I'm trying to help two people solve a problem. They got great cars they want to sell. You need a great car. Let's get them together and solve a problem. That's all I'm trying to do. But it would be wrong for Brother George or anybody else to take that with liberty and go try and tell that person something that is not within my desire, or my wishes, or my will. Whenever Jesus has prayed my name, well, it's just like this. The, the, the model prayer, the model prayer that we all said before football games, you know, our whole life growing up. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the first thing you pray for in the model prayer? Thy will be done. Whenever we're praying in Jesus' name, what we're saying is, Lord, is this within your will? Is this, is this, what, you're, is this what you desire? And if, we, if we're praying within his name, within his will, he says, whatever you ask of me, I will give it. That's what Jesus said. He said, if you'll pray... Believing and, and praying in my name, doing the things I want you to do, you can ask anything and you will receive it of me. Not just praying in faith, not praying in Jesus' Jesus' name, but also praying with obedience from the heart. If you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't rocket science here, but uh, you're going to have a, a tough time as a Christian. Believe me, I can tell you firsthand, you're going to have a tough time as a Christian if you're not obedient to God. If you're not obedient to God, your, your Christian life's not going to be great. You're not going to have a good time. It will not be a good experience. As a matter of fact, it will be a miserable experience. There are a lot of people that are saved and they have just enough Christianity to make themselves miserable all the time. And Jesus is saying, if you want to have fellowship with me, if you want to be able to speak to me, if you want to, have, if you want to know the Father, you have to obey. You have to obey. Just like, you know, if, just like with your children. If I, have, if I give my children a task... And they, and, they, and they keep coming back into the living room and they, they want to keep talking about something else or showing me something else or showing me something from a book or showing me something on the internet. And I keep saying, have you got your room finished yet? No, no, I'm fixing to, but I want to show you. No, 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 no. I don't want to see anything until the room's done. 
get the room done. And then you can sit down and we can fellowship and you can show me on the internet and your book and all the things you want to explore and talk about. And we can do all that. But you got to obey first. We can't sit down and have a talk and have fellowship if you still have a dirty room. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to have fellowship, if you want to sit down and talk, you have to obey. And we keep, we keep going back to God in disobedience. Oh, God, I got something I got to talk about. I want to and God's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, have you taken care of what, I've, what I said to take care of? No, no, I haven't, but okay, okay, we'll take care of that first, and then we can work around these other things. So when we pray, we must obey from the heart. Why else should we not have trouble in this life? Because we have the Holy Spirit in verses 16 through 18. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And so why should we not have trouble in this life? Because we have the Holy Spirit here to comfort us. You know that word comforter, it means to come along beside and help. That's what the Holy Spirit does for a Christian. As a Christian, we struggle. We go through difficult times. we We have challenges in front of us, sometimes of our own making. We've created giants in our own life, and we go and we try and fight on our own to try and get the victory, and we fail, and we fail, and we fail, and it's because we're not using the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's there to help us. What I'm saying is we try to do it on our own power, and what Jesus is saying is you have to walk in my power. You have to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is there to comfort you, to come alongside and assist. It means to strengthen or encourage you know, comfort, we think a lot of times comfort's kind of like placating, like just patting somebody on the hand and saying, it'll be okay. I'm here to comfort you. I'm just going to rub your hand. and Don't you feel comforted now? Well, that's what we do a lot of times. Sometimes that's all we can do. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Sometimes that's all you can do as a human being is just be there. But this word comfort does not just mean like just little pats on the hand or a little pat on the back. It means to strengthen It means to embolden. It means to encourage. We have a comforter, and he's not there just to make you, you know, you know, pat you on the belly and say it's going to be okay. No, he's there to strengthen you to go out and serve and to go out and fight and go out there and battle for God and battle against this world. And so we don't have to have a troubled heart because we have the Holy Spirit. And not just is he the comforter, but Jesus also calls him in verse number 17, even the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is there to what does the Bible say? It's to guide us, to lead us into all truth. That whenever we read the Bible, um, whenever we read the Bible, or um, I've been in churches before where um, uh, I've you know, heard a, a, a preacher preach a message, and the spirit of truth was there to confirm that in my life, to say what that man is saying out of that Bible is true. That's how I got saved. I, I was in church, and I heard the gospel, and I heard men preaching. And matter of fact, it was that, it was that verse there in James that says, even the, even the devils know and tremble. And I thought I was saved because I knew of Jesus, because I knew about him. Oh, there was a man named Jesus, and I believe in him, and yeah, I'm saved. But that's not salvation. Salvation is putting your trust and your confidence in him to get you to heaven because you can't save yourself. And so the spirit of truth was there to convict me. And so the Holy Spirit's not there not just to comfort us, encourage us, but also to guide us in, in all truth. And then he goes on to say here at the end of this verse, he says, verse number 18, I will not, lead you, I will not leave you comfortless. That word comfortless, it means to be an orphan. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to leave you on your own. 
I'm not going to leave you to take care of yourself or fend for yourself. I'll be there to help you and protect you and take care of you. And so we see here, Jesus says, you shouldn't be troubled because you have the Holy Spirit. We're, we're out of time. Let me skip to the end here. We'll go to verses 25 through 31. I don't want to miss this. Why should we not have a troubled heart? Because he has promised us the gift of peace. Uh, these things, verse number 25, these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard now that I say unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it has come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk with much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, even so I do. Arise, let us go thence. So finally, Jesus, in these final words, as he's fixing to be taken off and betrayed by Judas and then turned over to the, um, the, the Jews, the Sanhedrin, then turned over to the Roman soldiers, then brought back again to uh, the Jews, and then brought back again to Pilate, and then finally beaten and crucified. These are his final words. And Jesus could have promised his disciples anything. He could have said, unlimited money, I promise I give unto you, not as the world giveth, but as I give, unlimited money, unlimited power. Wouldn't that come in handy? Wouldn't it have been very great for Paul to be in charge of Rome instead of, you know, uh, Caesar at that time. He could have said, I give you all power. He could have said, all, I give you all ability to perform all kinds of miracles. He could have given him anything that he could have uh, thought of. But this is what Jesus said. This is what you're going to need when I'm gone. You're going to need peace. You're going to need peace. Because the... What this world thinks peace is, this is, this is the definition of peace in this world. An excess of resources and an absence of trouble. That's peace in this world. Excess resources. Got house, got cars, got a little money in the bank, everything's going okay. I got, I got more than I need right now. Things are going, and guess what? I don't have any trouble. I have an absence of trouble and an excess of resources. That's peace in this world. But what the Bible says is that you can have an excess of trouble and an absence of resources, and as a Christian, you can have peace. You can have an absence of resources, and you can have an excess of trouble, and if you're following God, you can have peace. Jesus said, I could give you anything that you might need, but this is what you're going to need. You're going to need peace. And not peace in the world, because you can find peace in the world for a little while. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. Oh, you, you, you can find peace in this world for a little bit. It'll last for a few nights. You can find it. It's not that hard. <laughs> but it goes away pretty quick. It doesn't last. As soon as the resources go away, as soon as the trouble comes back, all that peace is gone. And you're back where you started. And what Jesus is saying is, guys, don't let your heart be troubled. Because I'm going to give you something better than power. I'm going to give you something more, better than authority. I'm going to give you something better than miracles. I'm going to give you something better than money. I'm going to give you peace. But not like the peace you get from the world. I'm going to give you real, true, lasting peace. That when you find yourself with an excess of problems and you're absent resources, you can still have peace. Because it's not peace that comes from the, from the earth. 
It's peace that comes from above. I wonder this morning, do you have a troubled heart? It's easy to have one. Just look around, just see the news, but it doesn't have to be that way. And Jesus gave us a lot of good reasons why we don't have to let our heart be troubled today. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time once again. Thank you for your word. Would you pray for the service to come? We pray for our pastor. We lift him up to you this morning. Lord, we pray for our hearts and our ears that you would begin to prepare us for the message, that whenever we hear the message, Lord, we respond to it. Fill our pastor with your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would pray those that are closest to hell in Christ. Let me pray. Amen.